You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked On Seminoles, your favorite daily source for all things Florida State football, five days a week. And since we know it's your favorite, before I dive in with the full house I've got in front of me in the Zoom room, make sure you give the program five stars, leave a little review, we'll read it at Five Star Fridays. I'm sure you already are, but make sure you follow us. That way, we pop to the top of the queue every single day, Monday through Friday. Enough about that. I'm your host, Max, and sitting across from me, I've got Drake and I've got Dave. Gentlemen, how are we? Well, Max, I was better with the much better intro we just recorded before this, but football's still in the air, so I'm feeling great. I stand in solidarity with Dave with that statement of the previous intro, but Max, I in less than 72 hours, I'm going to be with y'all in Tallahassee. I am stoked. I am pumped. It is game week. Yeah, y'all know I'm not a huge drinker, but I bought a six-pack of beers this week, and I was like, I'm going to drink one each day when we record And after I finish this one, I will have two left. So that's pretty exciting to know that we are two frothy Bud Lights away. Yeah, I'll have my Wednesday beer to record the Thursday episode, a Thursday beer to record the Friday episode. So I'll be two frothy Bud Lights away from Tallahassee. It's my daughter's first game. I couldn't be more excited. But let's talk about the folks whose opinions and thoughts on the game really matter. Drake, I know you checked out the press conferences for us today. You were all over press conferences what did you take away from Mike Norvell and whoever else was there? Well, fortunately, we had not only Mike Norvell to speak to in the press conferences, but we also had John Papuchis, we had Adam Fuller, and we also had Ken Dillingham. One of the big things, actually, that I think Norvell touched on was he actually talked about how he was very excited about all the quarterbacks he has. And he kind of made a real big emphasis on how the quarterback room is the best thing he's seen since he's been there. And it, it, the way was his language around, like, you know, he's got a PhD in coach speak where he wasn't really like, going behind one player one player or the other. So it was really interesting to say that. And also with Mackenzie Millen, he said that that he – someone asked him, I think it was Aslan from uh, War Chant, where he was like, well, how's Mackenzie Millen, you know, being ready for this Sunday? And he's like, he's like you know, Mackenzie has been, you know, working really hard to get this point. He's, he's very excited for, you know, the capacity that he's going to play in, you know, moving forward. So it leads me to believe that we might see a little bit of Mackenzie Millen playing, which we discussed a little bit yesterday about. Yeah, yeah I just want to throw one thing out here. Hold on. If he said this is the best quarterback, I, that's what I was about to jump on since he's been here. Jesus Christ. Oh, like there was any chance James Blackman led quarterback room was going to be the better one. Right. That's like spending a whole day watching cartoons with your kid. Anything that comes on after that's going to be the best show you've seen all day. It doesn't matter if it's like Love Island or but uh, what do you, what Outer do you, Banks or whatever. I know. What, I get it. What but do you expect from just, him, though? Like, he doesn't give us anything in these press I know, conferences. But just say the QB rooms that are real. I'm not, we're not yelling at you. We're not <laughs> shooting the messenger. We say, like, I like where the QB room's at. Say, this is the best I've seen the QB room since I got here. It's like, well, it f-ing better be. I'd be really, really concerned if it wasn't. That would real actually. Real informative be, stuff. If he went out there and said, and remember last year, like, we had James Blackman, Travis was hurt. We had Tate Rodemaker and Chubba had just fallen through a glass table. So it was like, no, 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 no. That wasn't a winter. He, remember, he got tackled at the goal line and broke his collarbone. That's right. Sorry. It's hard to keep up with how he's been maimed and maligned uh, on a weekly basis. But anyway, like that's what he was dealing with last year. So if this wasn't the best, if he was like, 
you know, this is a top two unit I've seen in my time here. I'd probably be selling my ticket right now. And like, you guys want to start a podcast about literally anything else? Hey, yeah, well, I think Christ, we to- got the ear from him. Yeah, shift over to the food podcast thing Dave's been talking about. Yeah, right. For the food, past yeah. Two food and movies. Food and movies. We're gonna call Hard it. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna call it, but it'll be food and movies. But fortunately, he didn't say that, so we get to talk about Florida State, gentlemen. We've had 24 hours to review this depth chart. What are some lingering thoughts in your mind that maybe have popped up in the last 24 hours you didn't get to talk about yesterday that you'd like to bring to the table? Well, something we didn't talk about yesterday, boys. We have three starting receivers listed, one of whom I really can't wait to see play receiver out there for us. And I've never seen him play. And that's the thing. I really want to see the new blood or the young guys at receiver. I, I appreciate everything Keyshawn Helton and Terry Wilson have done for this program. And I hope they have great years. I, I just don't know that we're going to reach our ceiling unless the younger guys are stepping up. We've talked about this before. We don't know for sure what we have in a lot of the guys backing them up. Like, Josh Burrell, Malik McLean, Kentron Portier, but we've seen good things from them at times. We've heard good things, and I really want to see a lot of playing time from those guys. I think it was really interesting that we didn't see Jordan Young's name on there anymore, which like two players that you, Dave, you and I kind of talked about a little bit that we were kind of not saying Tyler Hamerly, we, we, we know what we have in them. We don't think they're going to take that next step. So them him being off is kind of surprising. Well, not surprising, but I think it's, they finally understand, you know, where he's at in his development. And then also – Brian Robinson is still not cracking them too deep. So that kind of leads me to believe that he might not be fully healthy or maybe he's just, you know, he's not there yet. Yeah. And there, when I went back and looked at it, there were two things that stood out to me. One, there's no Emmett Rice on the depth chart. We kind of forgot about him because we spent so much time on the linebackers, but I know we were all wondering, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be ready to go? So not seeing him on the two deep kind of tells me he probably isn't fully healthy. I know they've said he's ahead of schedule in camp, but it's a pretty bad leg injury. So ahead of schedule could mean who knows what also, you know, I, I, I mentioned it yesterday, but I started looking at the depth of the offensive line and with some help from you all reading me the names while I put them into a spreadsheet, I did a little, little mathematics for us and guys, we should feel good about this. We have nine offensive linemen on our two deep. So the reason it's nine, obviously Bavion is listed as the backup center and the backup right guard. Yeah. And the backup right guard they have 88 starts between the nine of them. So when you look at that, that's what? Almost 10 almost starts a piece. guy. It's like 9.8 yeah. starts a guy. That is probably the most experienced two deep we've had in a decade. No, that's really yeah. good. And also Norvell meant, did mention that in his press conference that he feels confident in about eight guys on an offensive line there. He feels that like they're really eight deep. So that's a good thing to point out. And by the way, Dylan Gibbons is transferring in from an extremely deep Notre Dame team. He only started one game, which I actually didn't have in here. So we have 89 starts between them. But Dylan Gibbons has played in 30 Power 5 Division One football games for one of the best offensive lines in the nation. So when you add in games played, which I probably should have calculated, you take those 30 and you figure he would have started probably 20 of those at uh, if he'd been in Florida State's room the whole time with his talent. You're looking at 108 starts per game for this whole unit. And that's pretty incredible across the two deep. But before we go any further, we got a couple more things we want to talk about. I got to tell the people about betonline.ag. Don't hit that skip forward button because this is going to be worth it. I promise. Saturday, special episode, Danny's Dominoes. We got professional gambler, retired D2 football player, amateur McUltra aficionado, Danny Domino coming on the show to give us his picks we're going to discuss our picks. It's going to be a great Saturday episode. So here for the betonline.ag line of the day, we've got a little teaser. 
from the man himself. My first lock of the week is going to be uh, Wake Forest first half. Wake Forest brings back all 11 starters on their offense. They're going to score. They're one uh, running back, Kenneth Walker, did transfer to Michigan State, but they bring back their leading rusher. They're up-tempo. They were six in place per game. ODU didn't play any games on the spring, didn't play last fall. So they're looking at 19 months without a game. Old Dominion only brings back nine starters. They have a new uh, coach, Ricky Rain, was the OC at Penn State. So what's the logic there, Dan, of the first half? Like, why do you you like them in the first half over a full game? Just because 31, 31 and a half is a lot of points. You're going to look at UCLA, what happened to them. They went up big by the third quarter. You know, their starters were out. I think it's one of those things that leaves a backdoor cover possibility. They played more full state next week so i think basically what you're going to see here is wake forest treat this almost like an nfl preseason game typically like week three before the week before the game and let their starters go out and actually play and see what they can do and make sure everything is right and everything like that so i mean i think the first half here is definitely worth a look i look at the first quarter too with wake forest playing norfolk state next week the home stadium Think it's going to come out rocking old dominion new coach only nine returning starters haven't played in two years i think they're going to struggle off the bat all right so let's just keep rolling so we've got an experienced line but do you guys have anything maybe of concern that's kind of popped in your head over the past 24 hours as we've digested this depth chart yeah so max if you take harken back to the early days of Knowles anonymous if you guys have been with us for a long time you know about something that bothered us last year, and we promised we wouldn't talk about the past too much, but this is one thing we got to talk about, and that is the name syndrome, because it felt an awful lot yesterday when we reported that we were falling victim to it a little bit, and we try to keep it real for everyone and not be too grandiose with the expectations for this team, but we read off a lot of names, and they all sounded good because they all sounded good as recruits, and we probably need to temper expectations a little bit rather than just read names that sound good to us. That's a great point. Name syndrome, for those of you that aren't familiar, is a very contagious phenomenon in the sports world. And what it is, is it's where we look at a unit and we say, look, this unit is bad. The linebackers are not good. But then you start talking about them in the offseason and you say their names so often that you start to associate their name with good. And we're not sure why it happens. Doctors are still doing studies and they're, they're going through peer reviews and things like that, that it takes to get a scientific study published. When we get the results, we'll let you know, but it happens, right? We talk about, Hey, this unit's going to be weak. We look at that depth chart. We read all those names. And we're like, yeah, yeah, this is going to be a really good team because these names we just read say like, Oh yeah, that guy. Great. That guy. Great. And it's like, well, hang on. Let's zoom out, go to our 50,000 foot view They're not all going to be great. And Dave, you touched on something really important there. I think with this team, we have made no bones about the fact that we think they're going to get a lot better. I think this team will significantly improve from last year. But folks, it's progress, not perfection. Significant improvement over a three-win team. If you win six games, that's a 100% improvement. If your stock portfolio was up 100% when you woke up tomorrow, you might, some of you might retire. Some of you might go on the craziest vacation you've ever been on. That would be a significant improvement. Problem is our stock portfolio has like two grand in it. So our 100% increase is kind of just buying us like, you know, a quick trip to Sandals, Jamaica with our boss slash not boss that we're going to take photos with and then tell the whole office about and um, get one of us fired in a really, really messy lawsuit. 
and blow it up on the post and blow it up on the poster. Yeah, right. yeah, that was not his smartest move. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like this team, we have to remember what significant improvement is. No, I mean we really do. I mean, like I fell back into that a lot last year, mainly because I'm a big guy that does at PFF. I'm looking at the depth chart from last year, like already right now. We had what should have been probably one of the best defensive lines, not only in the conference but in the entire ACC, with Marvin Wilson who graded out. 92 plus his first three years here at FSU. Corey Dern, who also graded out in the mid to high 80s. Joshua Kando, who was someone that was a five-star recruit that should have been great. But it's true. Like, what I think we need to find a balance with that we should be able to still get excited for these players. Like, we have new blood coming in. Like, Dave mentioned Joshua Burrell, Malik McLean, Andrew Parchment, who, you know, transferred over from Kansas. We have a lot of, you know, new, exciting, fun faces, faces to, you know, to watch. And our expectations should be high. But we also should be kind of aware that, one, a lot of them are still freshmen. Two, the team was god-awful last year. And you're not going to go from a bottom 25 team to a top 20, 10 team nine days from, from a year off. This isn't professional sports. But I think you should be able to find happy middle ground. So I think Dave and Max are very right, right about how we need to temper and slow down and, you know, have lower expectations. But it's hard not to get fired up about the defensive line in particular because you look down the defensive line starters. You've got Jermaine Johnson. They have him listed as defensive end. Kier Thomas listed as the Fox. So I assume you've got Kier on the field side. You've got uh, Jermaine Johnson on the boundary side. Neither of them were on the team last year. Then we go down. Dennis Briggs has earned not an or, but a full-blown starting position. He broke the rock. At defensive tackle, he wasn't on the team this time last year. Remember, Dennis Briggs opted out because of COVID and didn't come back, I think, until late in the year. And, and then we've got Fabian Lovett, who was here last year, but from what we're hearing, totally different animal, not the same beast. Robert Cooper, expect him to have an impact. So that nose tackle position, they were both here last year, but three of the four defensive line starters were not on this team last year, and they all have decent pedigrees, right? They have a history. We've seen them on film do great things. There's some injury situations there. Dennis Briggs, again, with the opt-out, but we've heard phenomenal things about his camp. So I think the difference is like, I, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe there is no difference, right? Maybe I'm doing exactly what we did last year about these four, but I'm fired up. Yeah, I think the I think the name syndrome gets most frustrating in the context at FSU in particular of the DBs because we've put so many good DBs in the NFL recently Mm -hmm. and we've had so many good college DBs. So you go down and you read these names like, Oh, Akeem Dent, like he was a five-star on some services, like Travis J. Like these are guys that haven't proven that they are the talent that their names connote, but still we should have a lot of high expectations for guys that are all blue chip recruits. And so if they don't, you know, perform to those expectations. It's almost hard to be, it's easy to be disappointed, but it's hard to be hard on yourself because you should expect that from those guys. And not only that, Max, to your point, like how you're very excited about the defensive line players, like for those people you mentioned, they're transfers for a reason. They they have a lot of tape and a lot of experience playing in the SEC, the Alabama State, the the Big Ten. Like we we actually have like a sort of a resume that backs up their improved play from what we used to have before. So it's a lot I'm not going to say it's a lot easier to fall under it, but I think it's a lot more justifiable to have these higher expectations for these players. I think that makes sense too. And, and you know, I've been kicking this around in my brain as y'all have been talking. And it's like last year's defensive line felt a lot like kind of this year's DBs 
where they had a lot of hype from when they were in high school, but like they were college sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And besides Marvin Wilson, who did have great PFF grades, we were just waiting for Kando to show us. We're like, maybe this is Kando's year, you know, five-star recruit. These guys all feel like they've proved it to us. Like I couldn't even tell you what any of these guys were coming out of high school. I'm excited about what Jermaine Johnson's done before he transferred. I'm excited about Marcus Cushney averaging more than one sack per game over 14 games on a conference championship team, albeit in the FCS. I'm excited about Dennis Briggs out of the entire team as a sophomore getting to break the rock. And we know Mike Norvell takes that seriously. I'm excited about what I've heard from like one of my few inside sources about Fabian Lovett's mentality and where he's been. And again, we've seen Kier Thomas on tape. So it's like, these guys have proved it to me. We just need them to be healthy and need them to do what we've already seen them do. Last year's D-line was like, please do what we feel like you should be able to do. You know what I'm saying? We we, we just don't want everybody listening to this. To I guess be I just got everyone hyped up again. Yeah, sorry. We were trying to set expectations, and I think I may right. have just done Because we're up. supposed so we, to be hyped up, though. I, That's true. We're we, fans first. And, and we are. And we are. But listen, if you listen Speaking to which, Ron Legacy back, Walk, no, Locked on Seminoles tailgate. We will be there. So be there. Be okay. square. Uh, my daughter will be there. So just, you know, there's no bleep button on the sidewalks of Legacy Walk. So just keep that in mind. All right, look, this year, this year is going to be awesome. It's going to be a great year for football. It's going to be better than last year. It's going to be better than like the last three, four years. We could lose all 12 games. It'll be better than last year. Like just having, being able to go to football games, even if we lose, like I'm just so excited to go and like, anyway, but go. But my point is if you went back and you listened to our episode yesterday with no context, you might think this is like a 10 win football team. And we do like a lot of these players and we do like a lot of these position units, but it's, all relative to what we've seen last year in the last several years, they're going to be better. This is not a 10 win football team. I'm sorry if that upsets you, but you've been living under a rock. If that surprises you, the 18 grams of protein and the five grams of carbs in a built bar, that'll get you 10 wins all day. Because if you can come off your workout and immediately get protein to your muscles without getting the carbs to your belly, well, that's a winning recipe and you will win every single day and twice on Sunday, or I guess once on Friday and then, Again, on Sunday, if you play as often as Bishop Sycamore. But anyway, go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Get 15% off your order. Built Bar. Get it. Build. Bar. Built Bar. I don't know. I'm trying new things. Last thing before we let Drake talk about the recruiting implications of this weekend. I I wanted to go back to your comment, Dave, about the wide receivers. You said, when are we going to see the young guys? Because we've got Pokey starting. We've got uh, Keyshawn Helton starting. I have two things on that. One, this is a different Keyshawn because I agree with you mentally. My brain goes where your brain goes when I hear Keyshawn Helton. But he should be fully recovered now. And all accounts are he's looking a lot better. So you look who's backing up Keyshawn. You've got Darian Williamson, six foot three. Under Ontario Wilson, who's like six foot. They haven't listed six foot, I think, but he's not that tall. They've got Joshua Burrell, six foot two, 225 pounds. Under Parchment, you got Malik McLean at six foot four. The point I'm making is all of these guys are significantly taller and one of them is significantly bulkier than the guys that are starting over them. So I don't think this is your true depth chart. I think this is your open field depth chart. And then you have your red zone depth chart right below it. Yeah, that's probably fair. But again, once, once you get in 30 yards, you'll see those young guys, you know, within 30 yards, because that's going to be your receiving core, right? You're going to have either Williamson or I imagine you kick Portier up to there. You're going to have Burrell in the slot at 6'2", 225 pounds, basically a second tight end. And then you're going to put Malik McLean at 6'4", um, or maybe Parchment, depending on what routes you need ran. 
there's a lot of coaches that place emphasis on the importance of tall, big receivers because your DBs can only get so tall before they start losing like flexibility and ability to turn and run and ability to move quickly in space. And so that's a benefit to having bigger receivers. They can just out muscle and out jump these yeah. smaller DBs. And so the fact that we have that many on the roster, I, look, you probably need a slot guy. And so maybe Keyshawn could be great in the slot, but I want to see those bigger guys out there. And I want to see what the young guys can do. I think you're really, I don't know. It's not just you. I think it's just around the beat that you're like, a lot of people are, like, are giving up on Keyshawn Helton. And I think that's someone that actually we really do need to watch out for that he, he had only one bad year, and that was after a catastrophic knee injury. The first and a brand year, new coach and a brand new coach. In the first year and a half, he was our most dependable wide receiver when it comes to the best routes ran, the best hands on the team, and probably got you the most yards after the catch too. So, I think the one thing about Keyshawn, we need. I think he's the most important wide receiver. We need someone like him to be a continuous factor in the slot. I think that to me is like what we really need from this team. If we want to excel on the passing game, we need Keyshawn Helton to probably be them our not our focal point of the offense, but our primary target wide receiver. Especially, and I don't know why someone on Twitter can explain it to me, but the college game has proven you need one receiver under six feet tall. Like we saw that with Rashad Green. We see that with Hunter Renfro, right? Like you always need a guy that has that quick scat position. But to your point with the height, I do think in the red zone, you probably pull Keyshawn unless you go empty set. But I think very, I, I don't want to say think. I'm very, very confident that in the red zone, you're going to have McDonald move out wide. You're going to have probably Jordan Wilson go down to the line. You're going to have Malik McLean out there, possibly Portier out there, and then you're going to have Burrell out there. So I, I'm confident at the shortest receiver might still be Keyshawn if he's out there, but the average height among receivers in the red zone is going to be like six foot three. So I'm pretty fired up about that. But Drake, that's enough about that. We've talked about the depth chart. I'm sure we'll have thoughts of the next 24 hours that we'll bring to our conversation with Philly G for our know your foe episode tomorrow. And folks, if you haven't seen know your foe before we did like a season preview with Philly G a couple weeks ago, go check that out. But know your foe is a lot of fun. So Drake, what can you tell us about the importance of this weekend from a recruiting standpoint, who's going to be there? What have you heard? So we have about, I want to say 15 to 17 official visitors actually coming in to Tallahassee that weekend, which is a lot, which is really important that folks, if you have an opportunity to make it to the game, we need that atmosphere to be as loud as possible. We need to make, sell these kids in the actual experience of playing at Doak Campbell at night underneath the lights. One of the biggest kids that we have like coming in is Kevin Coleman, who yeah. is, is probably one of my personal favorite recruits out there. He's a five foot 11 wide receiver. I know for you size Queens for the passing on you know, five minutes. I mean, you know, on a little bit, these short guys, but five water, star, five star, five, the five star stands for five eleven. But no, the kid's fast. The kid runs great routes. Has probably <laughs> the best hands out there and out there right now on the free circuit. And another kid that we really need to push for is Nigel Kelly. Now, those of you that remember, Nigel Kelly was originally a commit back in I want to say it was like January or February of this earlier this year from Dillard High School, and he decommitted. I'm getting some word that he actually is. Schools are cooling off on him a little bit. And that's something that we really, you know, need to pair him up with. Like, if we get him and we're able to pair him up with, like, a Marcus Kushner who has two more years, the other kids that we have in the class, that these are those are two of my primary targets. And I also wouldn't be surprised if if we keep the game close, there may be some kids in the 2023 class that actually will also be coming that may pull a trigger too as well. So that's something we really need to keep on because we have about probably 18 official visitors, probably 40 to 50 kids that are going to be on campus just visiting. Yeah, and folks, if you don't remember – 
That's okay. Official visitors, they get what three of those, Drake? You can use five. three official five five official visits. That means the coaches can talk to them. They get a tour of the Moore Center. They see the locker rooms. They walk through game film with the coaches. Yada yada yada. Unofficial, they got there on their own dime, or you know, if their seven on seven coach wants to pay for the trip, he's welcome to do that. That kind of thing. They're there. They can't talk to coaches, but you know. They can talk to recruits who have talked to coaches that weekend and, you know, they can, they can get a vibe of what the coaches are saying and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I want to ask you guys a question. Sure. And I think it's a question a lot of people have when it comes to recruiting and official visits. How much do you think the atmosphere and or the result of the game actually matter to these official visitors? Very much and very little. I think they probably don't really watch the game that much, but I think the atmosphere of like, is this a crowd I want to play in front of probably does matter to some degree. Now I'm just speaking for myself mostly, but I don't know. Yeah. They look, they know the results of the games. They know we were a three win team last year, but if they see 75,000 people in garnet and gold and say, man, it'd be pretty cool to catch some touchdown passes in this environment versus 20,000 at wake forest. Yeah. I think that matters. Yeah, I'm going to give you a law school answer, Dave. I think it depends. I think for teams like Alabama, the result really doesn't matter because you know what you're really going to get, and the atmosphere of Alabama like, never really changes. I think for us, we need. I think the result matters a little bit more, but not the result in the fact that we win the game. I think it's more that we need to see that actually we need to show these kids that we're actually moving forward in the right direction. Because apparently, with Norvell, the way he does recruiting, he's very blunt and to the point. Like kind of not he tries to do the constructive criticism approach, which that works yeah. fine and dandy if you're winning games or if you're, you know, if you're improving forward on. If you're not doing that, look at Joe Judge with the Giants, where he's already losing the locker room already within year two. Well, I so, think it'll be position based, Drake. I think you'll see like, does this, does each position group, whichever one that specific recruits in, look like they've improved from the year before? Because these kids are trying to get to the NFL. They want to know is this position coach going to make me better at football and get me to the NFL? Because make no mistake about it, like. National championship rings are dope. Uh, having your name in Tuscaloosa is sweet, but they go to Alabama because they know that is going to develop them into the best NFL prospect they can possibly be. So I think it's going to be, again, performance on the field. What does my position group look like? And do they look like they're being coached well? I guess my only thought is at some point this year, the results are going to matter to these recruits. Like, I, it's not all about wins and losses. But again, we've talked a lot about this has got to be a six-win team. Agreed. We're going to start to lose yeah, has to be. the aggregate result will matter to these kids. I think Dave, yeah. I think this game, the game they're at it, these kids don't like you. I'm sure some of these kids are big football fans, but most of them I would imagine have been playing football on Saturdays for pretty much their entire life. And they probably just started three years ago playing on Friday nights. How much football do you really think, you know, they've watched Have they really developed like hardcore fandom for Florida state? Not really. Most of them. So, like, they're not like us watching the game where there's this defeated feeling if they lose. Like, that drive home Monday or flight home, whatever you're doing, it's going to suck if we lose. It may, Folks, don't think because we tell you on our pod, like, you can progress without winning means it's not going to – I mean, it's going to blow. Like, there's no way to say it. Monday's going to suck if we lose. But these kids won't feel that way. If they have a wonderful visit and then Monday they do a film breakdown – they're going to be like, oh, okay, look, I saw my position group. My position coach seems like he knows what he's talking about. But to your point, Dave, you're right. If three months from now we're 1-11, and 11, yeah, they're going to be like, dude, okay, that they don't know what they're doing. So, yeah, I think in the aggregate results matter. We're lucky to have a kid like Travis Hunter who is so dedicated to, I hate 
seeing Florida State looking like this, and I want to be part of the reason that they're brought back. I mean, if every recruit was as null-blooded as he is, we'd, we'd have a great recruiting class every year, the best recruiting class every year. But, yeah, I think uh, if this isn't a six-win season, uh, I'm going to be worried. So, yeah, starting the year off with a W would put us out of schedule. Usually I would caveat that. I'd say, well, what if it's five, but we had a really close one. I genuinely do agree with you that that number in the win column kind of has to be six because these kids aren't going to want to hear, well, we almost beat Wake, but there was a last minute, like they want to see the team go to a bowl game because if you have a six win team, you can jump that puppy to a 10 win team, but a five win team, you really going to double the wins that I know it's not that big a deal, but human psychology is a very real thing with 17 year old young men. Yeah, I mean, like six yeah. wins is definitely a thing because like the, the bowl games, like you for one, it's better for the coaching staff too because you get those extra practices. Two, you get more money from the school. Three, kids want to watch us actually still play the games. They don't, they don't think they care much so much, you know, if it's, a, if it's W or an L at the end of the day, but they still want to see how the team is able to progress moving forward and see like, hey, like, you know, plug myself in there too, like you were saying earlier. So six wins to me is the absolute bare, bare, bare minimum that we need to reach. If it's anything less than that, then we probably should cut the other guy. And think about Max, really think- bad high school trash talk right like those kids aren't good at trash talk so when you get there oh you're going to fsu they didn't even make a bowl game like i know that sounds so pedantic but i think that that distinction of not making a bowl game is such a thing to throw in your face that like no one wants to be going to the school that didn't even make a bowl game there's like a hundred of them yeah max the perfect analogy it versus the five versus six the bowl versus no bowl is like when gas is 2.99 a gallon I think of it categorically different than if it's $3 a gallon. That's a penny difference. But yes. in my mind, it's totally different. It's so much more expensive. And it's literally just a cent more. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, thanks, man. Really? Pay $3 for this? $2.99? I can do that. Okay. Yeah, the minute I see it 301, it's like, thanks, Obama. Yep. You did this to us. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, hey, let's end it on a high note, guys. What are you most excited for this weekend? Max, I'm excited to uh, watch football with all my friends. Fantastic, Dave. Drake, what are you most excited for this weekend? Now, I'm most excited for the game day atmosphere. I haven't been able to be back at, I think, though, for an actual football game since maybe, I think, 2016 Clemson was the last time I actually wasn't at an FSU Has it been game. that long? It's been that long. Yeah, I've been at, I mean, I was in Baltimore for that for that long, and then my first year of law school was the Alabama game where you all travel for that. I missed that. Yep. So the last time I've been to Doak for an actual game day at night was the Clemson game. So that's maybe – probably what I'm most excited for. Holy cow, dude. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I, for me, my last game was Syracuse 2019 homecoming. I flew from, where's that God awful place? Oh, from Aberdeen, Scotland. And maybe I flew to London first and then flew all the way to Atlanta. It was like a 10 hour flight. It's the longest I've ever been silent in my life. It was horrible, but anyway, yeah, I'm but- really fired up for the game day atmosphere as well. And if you're fired up for the game day atmosphere, find us on game day. We'll be there. Legacy walk locked on Seminoles. But if you don't find us then, You can find us on your podcast app five days a week. I'm Max. That was Drake and Dave. And this was Locked on Seminoles. Take care, everybody. Go Noles.